All right, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. My name is Scott McKenzie, and this podcast is uniquely positioned. And what I mean by that, we bring the medical industry, the medical professionals to you, and we talk about better pain management. We talk about rehab after surgery. We talk about improved mobility. And we talk about preventative care. And you know what else? We talk about so much more on this particular podcast. Now, thank you for joining this podcast. So let's get on with the interview. All right. Welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. And remember, before you go anywhere, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, go to corephysicaltherapy.com. Find out more. There's a lot of helpful people out there. Great website, great people, great company. You will not be disappointed. All right, we got a great panel. We're going to be talking about stuff that's way above my head and my pay grade, but uh, we've got a panel that can truly answer those questions. Chris, why don't you give us a little background on who you are, what's your, why you're such an incredible PT professional. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so I'm actually, I'm a physical therapist and clinic manager at Cora. Um, I'm down in the South Florida region. And uh, I graduated from USF, go Bulls, and I'm happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Go Bulls. You don't hear that often, do you? Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh (laughs) Little little football trash talk. All right, Dr. Abraham, let's uh, start with your uh, incredible resume. (laughs) So my name is Dr. Abraham. I'm an orthopedic surgeon in South Florida, uh, part of ACA East Florida, um, I'm actually from New York, uh, moved down here, uh, about two years ago, did my fellowship over here at Cleveland clinic. Um, and yeah, New York native, uh, not too much, uh, of a change being here in Miami, but the weather's nice. <laughs> Very good. All right, Dr. Rick, it's all up to you. Take it. I'm Rick Lehman, uh, from 314 St. Louis. And tonight we're going to talk about outpatient arthroplasties and it's, it's actually a great topic. Uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, the number of outpatient arthroplasties has been increasing over the years. And with insurance and cutbacks, et cetera, I think you're going to see more and more pressure to do arthroplasties when possible in an outpatient setting. And number two, and maybe most importantly, people want to go home. Back in the day, you stayed in the hospital four or five days, and you stayed in the hospital three days, two days, and all of a sudden, some of these procedures are being done as an outpatient. So before we get started, uh, Dr. Abraham, tell us specifically what percentage you think of your practice is outpatient arthroplasties and which arthroplasties do you mostly do as an outpatient? Sure. So, you know, I do agree with you. There's a growing number of arthroplasties that are done as an outpatient. I think uh, in recent times, because of COVID, it's kind of accelerated um, just because of all that's, uh, you know, all that the hospital is being inundated with. Uh, in terms of my numbers, I probably see about anywhere from 40% to maybe 50% uh, in terms of uh, same day or outpatient uh, procedures. And I do it basically in the hospital as well as for surgical center uh, purposes. Um, in terms of the hospital, it's the procedure as normal, but they just get discharged same day. Uh, from the hospital. And, and so, so really when you're doing your inpatient procedures, really outpatient procedures, because you're sending them home at the culmination of the procedure anyway. Right. So there's uh, like you said, uh, you know, it's, it's always when we can do these as outpatients. So I kind of 
put my patients in tears. Uh, and I think we're going to go into some of this uh, in a bit, but in terms of who can become, who can go to the outpatient surgical center versus who can maybe be a same day procedure in the hospital versus someone who should probably just be, you know, in the hospital in terms of uh, just staying for a day or two, you know, after the procedure. So, so it's a good segue to discuss that. Well, what is your thought process? And then after that, let's break it down into shoulder, knee, hip, et cetera, what you're more com- most comfortable with and what you do most frequently. But right. what, what goes into who belongs at an outpatient center, who belongs in a hospital and who belongs in a hospital staying overnight or two days? Is it BMI? Is it health? Kind of give us your specifics. So generally I use more ASA criteria just only because the surgical center also does that as well. Um, so BMI is a big factor uh, for me as well as ASI, uh, excuse me, ASA. Uh, I try to aim for patients who are ASA one and two and ASA is basically anesthesia uh, scoring that's used to uh uh, determine how fit a patient is for anesthesia and for the surgery in general. Um, I try to avoid patients who have uh, cardiac risks, uh, especially for the outpatient centers, um, just because, you know, there are, there's definitely the orthopedic equipment that they have and are prepared for. Uh, but in terms of the medical side, uh, you know, I really try to limit it to the healthiest, healthy patients. And basically just look at the, you know, the anesthesia chart, just pick off of one and two. And that's really patients with, you know, uh, not, not too many chronic problems like, you know, uncontrolled diabetes, uh, cardiac problems, uh, and, you know, let alone kidney and liver issues. Uh, so it's very individualistic. Uh, I try to, I actually try to score the patient as I'm talking to them the first time or second time I'm meeting them uh, and when I'm booking them for surgery. That's excellent. And, and Chris, in terms of rehab, does it matter? I mean, if somebody's an outpatient, if they're an inpatient, if their BMI is bigger, if they're an ASA one or a two, they're very healthy, or maybe they have some comorbidities. In terms of the rehab, how do you do you look at it the same way? Hey, this guy's very healthy, or this guy's not so healthy? Yeah, great question. So, a lot of the times, I mean, we we consider their comorbidities a hundred percent. There's different factors that are, that are going to play into how well. Um, a patient progresses through their therapy. So uh, for us, the quicker we can get them into therapy out of surgery, the better outcomes that we have for those patients. Um, if they are, you know, if they listen to their plan of care, if they stick with their home exercises and they progress um, with the plan that the therapist and the doctor comes up with them, um, generally those outcomes are better. Uh, obviously, you know, BMI, uh, weight, those all play a part in how well a uh, patient might respond to our therapy and also um, determines kind of their outcomes in the future. Excellent. Thank you. Dr. Abraham, so do you do mostly lower extremity, upper extremity, both? So I, I generally do lower extremity. Uh, I do hip and knees as my specialties. Um, uh, in terms of which ones go home, I know that uh, what I've noticed in my practice and uh, probably most people have is that the hips are very quick to recover in terms of rehabbing. I have hips who are walking with physical therapy 
anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half after the procedure. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the, the, the caveat trying to see who uh, is a good patient for same day versus, you know, same day in the hospital versus, you know, surgical center, obviously the surgical center doesn't, most surgical centers don't have a physical therapist on staff. Um, so a lot of it has to do with patient education. Um, that's kind of the second category that I use to determine where people go. Someone who's very motivated, who uh, a patient who understands everything that is taught in the joint pre pre op joint replacement classes that we have. Um, they are really good candidates for outpatient total joints. Uh, they're educated about postoperative complications that are common. Uh, you know, that can prevent someone from going home, like, you know, uh, nausea, uh, you know, post-op pain, what to do when you have that. So these educated patients, I think, um, are much better candidates for surgical centers, um, because a lot of times we have them walk with a walker, and then they go home. Um, So, and to add uh, to that, actually, patient education and social factors, family factors, you know, when they go home, who's taking care of them? Uh, who, who is with them for home physical therapy when they come over? Uh, are they doing the exercises with them? We try to, I try to gauge who their family members are, how involved they are in their lives. And I've found that the patients who do the best are the ones with, you know, so much support with them, you know. That's that, that that's so true because I, I think that's a big factor, and and you see family members pushing them. All right, the doctor said to get up, use your walker, right. stretch, and then some family members are like, you know, turn on USF football game, and uh, they just sit there and watch TV. Right? Um, do you think there's a, an equipment differential? Um, you know, some surgery centers maybe be a little bit better equipped uh, versus a hospital. Do you think there's a, or is that just you making sure you have all the trays you need, the right. instruments you need, the, the total, specific total joints you need. Right. So, uh, you know, part of the part of the transition from going to a surgical center, especially, is making sure you don't compromise on your quality and on what you do. Uh, so, you know, before I went to our surgical center, I made sure that we had all the right trays that I use, that I'm com- comfortable with, that I am used to. Uh, same implants. Uh, I, I use, so for my hip replacements, I use the HANA table, which is a kind of a fracture table that assists, assists with the anterior hip approach. Uh, but I made sure that we have that available. So these are things that I don't want to compromise on in terms of delivering uh, the outcomes that I'm used to in the hospital setting. Um, in terms of equipment, other than that, I mean, they're well equipped to do, uh, outpatient total joints, uh, just beca- because they have, uh, all the, the other, you know, the, the sutures, the instruments, the aquamantis that I may use all these things I kind of check for before I get there. Um, so I think that's important transitioning, making sure you have the right first assists that follow you or physical therapist, uh, excuse me, uh, physician assistants who will follow you along to there. So you have essentially your same team. So, not, you know, you want to omit the variables that change. And in terms of, and, and maybe this is a little bit of a curveball, revision surgeries, mm-hmm. you think there's a place for revision surgeries as an outpatient or you just do all those in the hospital or you need a different set of instruments 
Right. I, so I do all of them in the hospital. I, I think uh, we'll kind of delve to what the future of all this is, but I think in the future, there are certain things that can be done in an outpatient setting. Uh, for instance, you know, I've done a, several patients who, uh, you know, I, I took over practice uh, from a, a surgeon who was in the community for 40 years. And I'm seeing some of his hip patients come in from 1990, 1995 with, uh, with uh, polyline liners in the hip that are just, you know, what they need is just a liner exchange. So I do those in the hospital, but they take about the same, if not less than, you know, the same time as a total hip replacement. They're in terms of how much I'm doing, uh, how involved the surgery is, it's not much. So those type of pr- procedures for sure, I think can be done in the outpatient setting. Uh, of course, right patient selection, patient education, patient social factors. I, those are always three things I stress. And that pretty much before the patient leaves the room, after I book them, I kind of have an idea of what those three things are for them. And, and, and in terms of safety, no real concerns about problems, anesthesia problems, bleeding problems, safety factors. And then what do you do if you get into trouble postoperatively, someone's bleeding, Etc. What, what's your go-to move? So, uh, you know, obviously same things that in terms of my capacity, same things that I would do as an orthopedic surgeon in the hospital in terms of evaluating post-op bleeding, evaluating uh, post-op palsies, all those things. Uh, it, the difference obviously is having the medical team as your backup there. Um, so I, I've chosen to be a little more, to play a little more safe where my surgical center is pretty much attached to the hospital. Um, So I have that um, as a backup uh, for me, but in terms of um, complications afterwards, I think a lot of those are eliminated uh, or at least almost eliminated with patient selection. Uh, You know, I think choosing someone who doesn't have cardiac problems, uncontrolled hypertension, uncontrolled diabetes, uh, patients who are more or less healthy, you eliminate the surprises that come, uh, you know, needing to get, you know, having to worry about, you know, post-op cardiac issues, having to order extra set of labs and all those kind of things. Uh, In terms of um, some of those complications, they usually come from excessive blood loss in the surgery. And we try to limit that obviously with uh, a a lot of factors have come into play in recent years that have allowed us to maybe get to this point where, you know, we use uh, a medication called TXA, which has really limited the blood loss in uh, not only, you know, total joints, a lot of people use it even for fracture care and everything, but that is kind of limited. Even physical therapy, uh, the physical therapy that we have, uh, uh, we're not treating every patient as the same patient in terms of, you know, um, r- with respect to, to BMI, like was mentioned before, making sure we understand outcomes and goals, not and not pushing someone to, you know, we're, are we trying to get 120 degrees of flexion in a knee one week after surgery? Is that the most prudent thing? You know, so I think that comes into play as well. So. And Chris, give us just a thumbnail in terms of how you're going to rehab a total hip and how you're going to rehab a total knee, kind of the difference. Um, Dr. Abraham talked a little bit about range of motion. Give us some ideals in terms of range of motion and the difference between total knee and total hip rehab. Right. So um, basically, both of those, sometimes they come with a protocol from the doctor. So 
us as the evaluating therapists, we kind of go over with the patient um, to make sure that they're aware of whatever protocol that was given. Um, if they are unaware, um, we go over, you know, a general protocol of, you know, if there's a posterior approach or an anterior approach to the hip replacement, um, there's different things that they should avoid, different movements. Um, basically, each of those has its own set of, uh, let's say, rules to follow or guidelines to follow uh, in order to progress them through their therapy. So, you know, we might start with, you know, passive range of motion in the beginning, um, and then progress them through, you know, uh, active range of motion, active assisted range of motion, and then onto strengthening. So this is over a period of weeks um, and months, especially with um, a knee replacement. You know, we want that, that range of motion to get back to as close as normal as soon as possible. Um, so we work on, you know, we're not going to push them to be at 120 degrees from day one. Um, but, you know, there is a point where, um, us as physical therapists, we have to, you know, push them through, um, certain ranges that they might feel uncomfortable with. Um, but we got to let them know and, you know, educating them from day one is so important. Um, it really starts with, you know, from the surgical team all the way through, uh, the therapists in letting this patient know what their progression will be, um, how long it might take and, how we're going to go about it. Uh, the more that they can get the picture and understand what we need to do to get them better, the better their outcomes will be and the better that I think that the patients um, will get in the long run. So, you know, we approach these, um, these surgeries differently, um, but there are similar things that we have to go through. Like I said, there's a process to each of them. Thank you. So in the literature, as you know, there's sort of all this, all these statistics about readmission rates, et cetera. Um, do you think your readmission rates are the same in, in inpatient, outpatient? And is it, do you think your readmission rates are higher in inpatient surgeries because the patients are sicker? Give us a little idea of your thought process on, on readmission in terms of outpatient versus inpatient. And, and if there's a difference, why you think there's a difference? Yeah, I, I think uh, just going by the data um, that's, you know, that's been coming out, uh, you know, a couple of articles in general, Arthroplasty have come out about readmission rates uh, with outpatient total knees. There's recently a study, uh, actually last year uh, in April about this with Dr. Sue, who uh, looked at the registry data for about 3,000 patients for total knees and found that it's about anywhere, from, it's about two to 2.5% in terms of re readmission rates for outpatients. Um, I think, uh, and, and my re it's pretty much the same for me. I haven't uh, experienced too much in terms of uh, readmission um, patient, uh, reasons for patients. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with patient selection. Um, I, I usually have no problem admitting a patient, keeping them one night, two nights, if I can sense that there's some issue. A lot of times it runs into patients who are uh, narcotic dependent. Uh, I know off the bat that these are not going to be outpatient procedure uh, patients, excuse me, or even saving day uh, patients. But but honestly, they have a great outcome afterwards just because they stayed in the hospital for a day uh, or that extra day. Um, 
And so I think patient selection is important. Whereas if I would have discharged that patient, maybe same day, they'd be right back in the hospital, you know, within a few hours, if not the next day, kind of complaining of pain. Um, same thing. It's uh, um, in terms of medical reasons, I think that's something that we definitely have to look at. Uh, we want to make sure that we're not doing sicker patients in the outpatient setting, um, you know, because that could lead to drastic you know, drastic kind of causes of, uh, you know, or of morbidity, uh, patients, especially cardiac patients, uh, patients with kidney failure, uncontrolled hypertension. These are things that bring, that bring uh, people back. Um, uh, in terms of the other non, uh, non-medical or non-surgical kind of reasons, uh, things like, uh, you know, um, you know, nausea, vomiting, all these things, things that can be preventable. We try to make sure that we're using, um, you know, as spinal anesthesia as much as possible. Uh, we found that, you know, a lot of studies have shown that general anesthesia um, promotes that. Um, of course, other studies refute that. So it goes back and forth with the literature on that. But uh, we want to make sure that their nausea is controlled pre-op and post-op. Um, that's something that I've seen that keeps people a little bit longer than usual in the post-op period. Um, so we definitely look out for that. And post-op pain, we want to make sure that we know their pain value and pain characteristics before, and then proceed with uh, the appropriate menu. So as, as a routine in your nerve, in your um, total knees, do you do nerve blocks? Do you do it under spinal anesthesia? Give us your regimen just a little bit. Yeah. So for total knees, I tried to do, uh, nerve blocks alone. Um, so the anesthesia department is great in our facility. Uh, they do popliteal blocks as well as uh, adductor canal blocks and a low, um, a low uh, femoral block. Um, that kind of blocks everything. And it, it's interesting with the medication that they use. It, it lasts about, it's essentially low dose uh, of marcaine, sometimes tetracrine, which lasts at most about three hours, four hours. And usually ends up being that way where in recovery room, um, they've been there about an hour. And right when physical therapy comes is when they start moving their leg and they're able to move everything. Um, I know that's been kind of a concern in the past where patients aren't able to fire their quads and stuff like that. And I think with using uh, shorter acting medication, keeping the procedures in a shorter time, uh, we're able to achieve that quicker physical therapy. In terms of the total hips, I do uh, I do spinal anesthesia when possible. Obviously, there's some patients with spinal stenosis or difficult spinals that we obviously then do general for. Uh, but for the most part, we do spinal anesthesia. Um, again, short acting anesthesia, uh, which is important. Lasts about you know I always tell them give me about two hours, uh, maybe three hours max in terms of making sure they're comfortable after they go to the rehab, uh, excuse me, after they go to fit, um, to the recovery room and then they're able to move right away. That's, that, that, that's really a good synopsis. And I, and I think that's important. Chris, where does prehab come in play here? Is it helpful to talk to the patients? And, and maybe I should ask Dr. Abraham the same question to explain to them, okay, so after your surgery, you're going to rehab, you're going to be in recovery room with this period of time. Then we expect you to get up with a walker, et cetera. Um, you, you think there's a benefit to prehab and, and basically uh, teaching the patient what to expect, not only complication wise, pain wise, et cetera, but 
what their expectations are after the surgery. And I mean, right after the surgery and in the ensuing first few days. All right, Dr. Abraham, do you want me to start or would you like to take that? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead and start first. And then I can definitely add and chime in. Yeah. So um, I believe, you know, the, the prehab is going to start uh, definitely even just educating that patient before the surgery, uh, letting them know, um, you know, what's going to come, what they should expect from, you know, the day of surgery and after. Um, but I believe, you know, getting some of these patients um, to have their baseline a little higher than they're used to. So maybe getting them into some therapy before going for the surgery, um, it allows their muscles, you know, to get stronger. Um, they'll have a more optimal recovery um, because their baseline will be higher than what they're used to. Um, so when they do get out of that surgery right away, like Dr. Abraham stated, um, they're moving and they're starting that therapy as quickly as possible. Um, you know, we're, we're getting that knee to move, we're getting that ankle to move, getting that hip to move, um, and eventually get them walking. I mean, as soon as an hour or an hour and a half after surgery, like you see it as well. Um, this in the long run helps the patient so much more. I mean, you know, some patients come out of the surgery and they're, they're saying, wow, I have like, I really don't have much pain. Sometimes that's just the anesthesia that hasn't worn off. But, um, uh, sometimes these patients can get up and just, and they're walking and they, they feel great. So, um, as long as there's, uh, no medical reasons to not get them moving, we do as much as we can with these patients. And, uh, the more we can get them into prehab and doing things beforehand and educating these patients on their timeline, the better they will do in the long run with this. Do you have any thoughts, Dr. Abraham? Yeah, no, for sure. So I, I completely agree that, you know, prehab is definitely the optimal scenario. I think um, just to add, it, it may sometimes be a little individualistic in terms of how bad their deformity is, how bad, uh, how long they've been living with arthritis where they're debilitated. Um, and I do agree, though, that uh, having a patient come in to physical therapy beforehand, uh, a lot of times I recommend it, even if it, I know that they're not going to really move too much more, it's just more getting used to the, the surroundings of, of, of the physical therapy center, the exercises, uh, maybe achieving some level of stamina. And most importantly, I think education, um, just knowing what to do after the surgery. Uh, you know, a lot of people um, think that it might, you know, it, it doesn't really help. It, it's inciting more pain. And I just tell them, well, you know, a lot of it has to do with just education, just knowing what to expect. So we can kind of catapult you to the next level after the surgery where now, yes, the thing that was causing you pain, a lot of pain before is not causing you as much pain because now you, you don't, you're not fighting your, your arthritis, you know, uh, and you're able to achieve a little bit, a little bit more. Uh, so I think education is a big component that prehab has for post-operative outcomes um, for patients. Perfect. So I'm going to ask you the question that I always get asked and, and every patient's going to ask, and that is, what do you tell them in terms of full recovery? When can they go back to, I mean, the number one question I probably got asked five times today, when can I play golf? Everybody wants to know when they can play golf, when they can get back to normal activities, et cetera. Uh -huh. And then the caveat of that is in terms of total hips and total knees, when the question is asked, can I run again? Um, what is your response? 
So kind of a two-part question. Yeah, sure. So, so it uh, depends on who's asking me. If you were asking me, I'd say about uh, six weeks, maybe even less. Uh, uh, you seem like an active guy, um, but uh, it, it really depends on the patient. Uh, that's why I think uh, I think too many times, uh, and you know, obviously I've seen it in my training. It, a lot of times we just look at the X-ray. Uh, you know, we look at the deformity. We're like, you definitely need total knee, and that's about it. But I try to spend some time talking to the patient about their socio their, their social factors uh where they go to work what they do you know uh i had a patient who was who worked at a bagel store as a as a you know make, making the bagels in the back and he'd be standing 12 13 hours a day and i was telling him you know his return to work or return to recovery maybe uh really return to work would be a little bit slower because his job is pretty demanding versus someone who has a desk job and is working from home so i think the, the social factors are very important for a patient, but generally I usually say about two to three months for total joints in general. Uh, hips do recover a little bit quicker than the knees that I found. Um, you know, some patients, some of my patients do return back to work at like three weeks, four weeks. And in terms of running, I've had multiple patients who probably by the two month mark, really two, three month mark, there's back to bicycling a few miles a day, right. And, you know, doing light jogging and running. Um, a lot of that uh, is, is kind of their own efforts in the post-op period with physical therapy. Excellent. So tell us about the future. What is the future of total joints and outpatient facilities mm -hmm. and, and where are we going with total joints? You know, people are doing more anterior approaches, is 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 are right. we in for a revolution where we're going to be doing more cartilage reconstruction? What 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 what's going to happen? Um, so at least for the near future, I see that uh, uh, outpatient joints is something that's that's here and probably here to stay uh, uh, in in whatever capacity, whether it's at a surgical center, whether it's at the hospitals uh, for same day. Um, I think we see the value in. Uh, decentralizing uh, the total joint uh, post-op care so that you may not need all those uh, invasive or uh, even extensive monitoring that the hospital has where you can now heal in your own home. You also may avoid a lot of the infections that you could possibly get in the hospital. So these are things that are very alluring to patients, especially also just the healing in your own, own home. Uh, I always usually get a smile from patients after I say that. It's, it's something that's very comforting to be able to do physical therapy in the home setting, in your own stairs, master that, and then go over to the, the post-op facility and kind of show them what you got and show them how much, you know, how good you are just because you've mastered, you know, going around your own home. Um, so I think outpatient joints for sure here to stay. I think uh, another component um, that I do often uh, robotic total joints. Uh, I know we didn't touch too much on that today, uh, but I think that's something that's revolutionizing the way we think about total joints. I think uh, in training and, you know, I, I definitely felt this. Uh, it seemed like, you know, total joint is pretty easy thing to do. You just, you know, make some cuts, put the implant in, and then you're good to go. And, I think uh, when we try to capture that reason why, you know, total knees, only about 80%, 85% total knees are happy, patient satisfaction, hips, 
a little bit more, obviously 90, 95%. And we're trying to get to that point of raising that bar and trying to be efficient. I think gone are the days where we can just kind of eyeball the cuts or, you know, kind of put the jigs wherever and let it, let them sit where they sit. Uh, I think robotic joints add a level of precision that, you know, the recent studies have showed will make a difference or do make a difference in terms of earlier post-op um, recovery. Uh, it also makes it very generalizable um, so that uh, regardless of uh, who does it, there's, there's kind of a litmus that you can compare where this is kind of where this patient needs to be uh, in terms of placement of their implants uh, for a successful total joint. Um, of course, it's it, the, the exciting thing is that it's growing, it's advancing, uh, you know, and it's, it's nice to be trained in robotics and to kind of follow along with the literature and see where it's taking us. We're, you know, now we have robotic software that's accounting for uh, your lower back and how stiff your lower back is and where we need to put, you know, uh, a total hip in the right, you know, where we need to put the acetabular cup. Uh, so all this stuff is exciting. It account, it, uh, just, you know, as we get more and more data, I think we'll see that that's kind of the next step for, to, uh, for total joints as well. So robotics, outpatient total joints. And of course, we've had the anterior hip replacement for a while. I do that uh, almost exclusively. Uh, I feel that it does make a difference, especially with some of my clientele where they need to get back to work right away. Faster recovery has always been something that's touted with anterior hips as well as lower dislocation rates. Um, so that's something that I offer to all my patients and do for most, if not all of my patients. Um, but that's kind of, that's kind of what I see for total joints in terms of the cartilage procedures. I know that I, I've kind of researched a little bit on your bio and I know you've kind of done a lot of research on that. Uh, and I hope that is something that we can kind of perfect too. I know a lot of the, the stem cell research is there for cartilage regeneration. Um, a lot of the sports guys do definitely, uh, you're, you know, a lot of the different companies like the DeNovo, the, the microplasties for the cartilages. So it'd be great to, to bring that to a grand scheme of total joints where we're doing that, mimicking that, not just for the small cartilage plug, but for, for the whole joint itself. That'd be amazing. That's excellent. And that's a good summary. Cause I, cause I really do feel like, you know, you read about minimally invasive total joints and the SNP and some of the things that are, that are on the horizon that have been there for a while. And, and obviously we're getting smaller. We're trying to do more through, through smaller incisions, less, less surgery, less rehab, et cetera. But I, but I also think the, the, the robotic, you know, getting rid of the outliers, trying to, like you said, move the needle a little bit in terms of your percentages of patient satisfaction is, is, is a big factor because it's hard to deal with somebody who comes to you and says, look, I had a total knee, a year ago and I have all this pain and I'm really no better and the x-ray looks fine. Your CT scan looks fine and you really have no, you know, what's your answer? I, you, we could do a revision, etc. So I, I agree with you, Chris, what's, what's on the horizon for physical therapy? What, what, what's the future look like and, and how are we going to get better? Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, the advancement in these things, just like, um, you know, for the, from the surgical perspective, um, the more that we can become advanced in different techniques and uh, become more mini more minimally invasive, I don't know if that's an oxymoron, um, the better the outcomes would be for these patients because, you know, surgery is a trauma. And um, whether we're doing an anterior approach or you're doing a posterior approach or um, however you want to, you know, go about it, 
um, those, those things are definitely going to cause problems in the area, going to cause inflammation, going to cause increased pain. So the more we can become precise with what we're doing, um, I think the better that these patients will get um, their treatment and follow their exercises. Um, in terms of physical therapy um, on the horizon, I would say, honestly, I, I don't have a clear answer for that. Um, I would probably have to do some more research on, you know, how that, how the surgery is involved with um, and the therapy side. I think, can we cut that put this part out? Because I, I don't really have a clear answer for this one. So do you think blood flow restriction post-operatively, or do you think, I mean, what, 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 what can we do to make people stronger, faster, uh, enabling them to get back to more aggressive activities quicker, or are we just sort of um, at the mercy of, of the physiology? Because I think surgeons have really done a good job in, in moving the needle in terms of, you know, when I was a resident, and of course, a long time ago, patients were in the hospital five days, they didn't get up for a day or two, and we clearly know now that that was not the way to go. What, what can we do to, to enhance somebody's recovery? You know, now you hear people, well, an hour after surgery, I was walking, which is obviously better for their lungs, better, better for their general health, et cetera. Right. Is there something we can do to advance their strengthening, get them, getting them back stronger? Do we need to be more aggressive with proprioception? Yeah. What, what, what can we do to better their post-op rehab? So I, I really, I mean, I know we've harped on it a lot in this conversation, um, but I think educating these patients and making sure that they see the benefit for the therapy that they're going to be doing. So, you know, if I have a patient come in and, you know, I, I go through my evaluation, I tell them, oh, this is what's going to get you better. Um, this is what we're going to do for you. But if they're not buying into this, they're not going to go home and do their exercises. They're not gonna show up to their appointments. Um, they're gonna end up going back to their doctor and saying, hey, I'm not getting better. Um, you know, physical therapy is no good. Um, so I really think um, from a physical therapy standpoint, it starts with us educating our patients. And it is, it's, you know, sometimes understated how important that is. I mean, sometimes we can see patients come in, uh, they'll show up for the eval, they might have one more visit. And if we don't even tell them like, listen, after the first visit, you might be in more pain uh, because we're moving muscles around. We're doing more things that are that your body's not used to. They're going to go home. And if we give them a call, hey, we haven't seen you in a while. Um, they might come back and say, oh, I'm worse by coming in. I'm not coming back in. Uh, so I think, you know, just again, laying out the this plan of care for these patients, letting them know the recovery time, letting them know each step of the process um, will help them get better in the long run if they stick with their plan of care and coming to therapy. No, I think that's excellent. I think, and I think that's also incumbent on the doctor to, to you know, to explain that exact thing. You know, PT is going to make you sore, you know, no pain, no gain, whatever you want to say. I'm not a fan of that particular phrase, but um, and, and explain to them, you know, why, why, what's good about it. And, and I think, because a lot of times they come back and they say, well, I went to therapy and now I'm more sore and I'm walking worse. And you have to tell them, look, that's that's the, the price to pay. 
So Dr. Right. Abraham, in closing, what do we forget? What should we have talked about that we didn't talk about? Um, I think we covered most of the, the, the gamut of uh, outpatient joints, uh, you know, uh, in terms of who needs to go, uh, where we need to do it, how we need to do it. I think um, if we leave with a message of just making sure that patient selection is the most important thing, followed by, and obviously that entails medical uh, medical and also kind of social factors of, you know, narcotic use, all that kind of stuff. But then following with patient education, how invested is this patient uh, in terms of uh, knowing what to do after you, you've explained it to them? I mean, I always tell people I give, I give them the brand new car with the keys, you know, in the ignition, but you still got to read the manual to know how to put it in drive, you know? So I, I, I do definitely make sure, you know, you know, I take the time out in my clinic to spend, you know, to, to explain it to them. I've invested time in terms of my, uh, in terms of our hospital uh, total joint protocols, making sure that, uh, I mean, that's really where I feel like patients learn. They have a lot more time, um, you know, to, to go with each patient, learn, you know, about their little you know, this and that. There's some patient, you know, uh, sometimes they'll come, in, come up to me and tell me like, hey, did you know so-and-so, uh, she said that she was going to get her joint replacement done and then she was going to stay about four or five days and then go home. And I'm like, what? And, and I could have sworn I talked to so-and-so and said that she's going home either the same day or the next day. And it's, it's just reiteration. It's just constantly, you know, you have to repeat it uh, you have to make, make it a point. And so, you know, we called that patient again and I made sure, told her, this is kind of what we're doing. And we set the, 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 we set kind of the expectations before so that she's not screaming at the nurses the next day saying I'm staying and all. So a lot of that patient education is so important, uh, especially when you're moving into the outpatient setting where there is no option for, you know, being admitted. And right. that's why I let all my patients know that, you know, that, you know, you, you know, you've been selected in every other way, but I want you to also be selected in the, in the mental way of knowing what, what we're doing, what we're about and what you're, what you're going to be doing post-op. So patient selection, important, obviously operative time. I, you know, uh, technique, I started with obviously doing the hospital first, seeing my patients, uh, you know, and starting to discharge them in that one day period and realizing that even when I was seeing them in that morning, they were kind of, you know, already at their, you know, with their business of making phone calls to the family. Some people who were working already on their laptop, you know, doing so. I, that's when, that's my sign of when you have your laptop and cell phone out, you need to probably go home because you have other business to attend to. So that's when I realized maybe we can start pushing it to the same day. And then finally, especially seeing the younger patients, the, the patients who are a little more healthy. I think we could, you know, we could definitely do this outpatient, you know, surgical setting and, you know, and it's, you know, I think I've gone very slow with it. And that's kind of the key, just patient selection, patient education, uh, operative technique, obviously, and then choosing a right facility. I, I, I may be cheating a little because the outpatient center is very close to the hospital uh, in terms of, if not in pretty much at the hospital. So that's kind of a, a relief for me too. That's excellent. Uh, and, and, and again, I think, I think patient selection, you, you just can't underscore that enough because I think that's, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you know, right. your patients, um, re managing their expectations, et cetera. I right. think that, that really is, is key. And, and for the same for physical therapy, 
So you guys were both outstanding. And um, Scott's going to ask you how he can get a hold of you, Dr. Abraham, and how he can get a hold of you, Chris. So I'm going to let him do that. For sure. I don't want to steal your job. <laughs> you just did. <laughs> hey, Dr. Abraham, how do people get a hold of you? <laughs> so uh, you could definitely call my office number. That's the best way to do it. Uh, you know, 954-724-3400, easy well, number. So, to, hold, 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 Dr. Abraham, slow down a little bit. <laughs> so 954-754-3400. Yeah. Uh-huh. Got it. Oh, excuse me, uh, 724-3400. got my own number. 724-3400. Uh, uh, that's the best way. You can also go online, uh, Google my name, uh, and, you know, find our website to make online appointments as well. Uh, so that's definitely a thing. And that's Robbie Abraham, R-O-B-Y-A-B-R-A-H-A-N. Got it. And you, Chris? Yeah, so you can go to uh, corephysicaltherapy.com or you can reach me directly. Uh, my email is C-Q-U-A-A-S at corahealth.com. Very good. Very good. I, I got I to gotta just sort of say the same thing with uh, Dr. Rick, man. You guys were really wonderful. Yeah. Now, I always gauge my, uh, my, I don't know, my learning is if I understand some stuff and I understood some stuff. So now I feel like I can I get a hip replacement and I feel really good about it. And I'm not going to have you talk behind my back and say, oh, there's Scott. Scott, we got to keep him in the hospital for another day. I'm out that door, baby. I'm out it. All right. Wonderful job, all of you. And remember, listeners, go out to corephysicaltherapy.com. If you have any, just have any, it's a great resource. It's free. Go out there, get your answers, reach out to you who you need to reach out to, get those answers, and, and, and live a better life. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much, Scott. Thank you. Excellent. And thank you Take for care. joining In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy.